turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Appreciate again kind invitation to the brethren here to be able to put up with me speaking this morning. I appreciate the uh, invitation. I appreciate the attention. I appreciate all the comments back after services that you guys have given me so far. I look forward to uh, even more of that. I, I really look forward to having discussions after lessons admonishing me over maybe something I said wrong or something that I need to improve with or even to the point of maybe discussions about how we can collectively improve with uh, whatever the topic may very well be. So I always appreciate that. I always appreciate good conversations that are stirred based on things that we're learning from the Bible, or maybe things that we're reminded about from the Bible. This morning, <clears throat> the, the, the topic is soul winners, soul winning. And, and the question that I'm posing essentially to the congregation here is, are you doing that? Are you individually attempting to win some soul somewhere? Have you really thought about that? Have you really put bootsteps to the ground in a direction to help somebody see Jesus? It says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30, it says there, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. So what I'm talking about here is is something that from the scriptures calls it wisdom for us to be willing to go out and capture souls, to win souls over, to teach souls how to get out of sin and get into Christ. Wise men are soul winners. If we're interested in being wise, then we better be interested in winning souls. One of the ways which we teach one another is through singing. So I appreciate the song that Reggie was willing to leave for me this, this morning. But I think through the passage that goes along with this in First Corinthians, excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, when you think about the text that's happening, when we're at chapter 3, that it's putting us into the frame of mind that we're new creatures, that we're different because we're Christians. Notice verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... The conclusion is, so far, if you've yet been raised with Christ, then, right, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, the earthly things. Verse 8, but now you must put them away. We're speaking of things that are bad. Uh, verse 10, which you're being renewed in the middle of the passage, which is being renewed to the knowledge after the image of the Creator. We are being brought up in the image of the Creator. Notice verse 12, and I'll start here. Put on then as, the, as God's chosen ones. We are God's chosen race. That makes us special. That makes us so special. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. Humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. 
And above all these things, put on love, which binds us, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Think about the things that he's saying as he leads up to this passage that we know. We all know verse 16. It's one of those ones that we kind of memorize. But as he's setting the structure for this passage to come in verse 16 and verse 17, for me, he's reminded us, one, that we're the chosen race, we're the chosen nation, we're the chosen people of God because we've been obedient to him in baptism, because we've come to him, knowing that our sins has caused a, a, a disruption between us and him. It reminds us in verse 13 to forgive each other. To put away those past conflicts, to put away the issues of life and forgive each other as God's forgiven us. If we don't forgive each other, God's not going to forgive us. In verse 15, or excuse me, verse 14 kind of as it moves on, putting on love. We really have that love for one another. Setting again the structure that's happening here. Verse 15, the peace of Christ that's supposed to rule in our hearts. We talked about that in Bible class this morning, about how the heart is the thing that's there to change us. That is the thing that should be, or it, it is the thing that produces the things that come out of my mouth. Do we have the heart that God's called us to have? The peace of Christ that should rule there. And then right before we get to verse 16, it says, and be thankful. You know, I think thankfulness is one of those lessons that we probably could spend a solid month just thinking about thankfulness. I think that a lot of times where our conflicts within us come from is a lack of thankfulness. We don't know how to be truly thankful of the Creator. And then we get to being complainers. And then we get to be discontent. Then we get to go down all kinds of bad paths. Just because we're not thankful, we don't spend time thanking God. Just imagine if you spent the rest of your day today. Could you thank God for every second of the day between now and the end of the day? For something different. I would say yes. Setting that in your minds, let's look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Notice what we're doing when we're singing. Notice how we get the heart to sing. Is by fitting all of God's word as we can into our hearts. That's the thing that produces this melody that comes from our hearts. Because we realize how much Christ has really done for us. And through those words, through those things that are embedded into our hearts, we teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And that's what I want to think about today. Are we really teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom? Are we teaching amongst ourselves that? Are we teaching those that are around us, their neighbors, 
that live right next door to us that we've never invited to church. You got any of those neighbors? This guy does. The coworker that maybe sits right next to us that knows that we're a Christian, but we really never tell them about Christ. What about the boss? Oh, it's a challenging one. He might fire him. We ever tell him about Christ? What about the guy that comes up to the side of the car at the interstate because he's looking for money? Do we ever tell him about Christ? What I want us to understand, dear brother, is if we truthfully have God's word dwelling in us richly, the only thing that we can do with it is tell others. So I want to push the idea that we have to be willing to be soul winners for Christ. Because it means that we have his word dwelling within us richly. Many songs that we sing are designed to stimulate this, this passion for soul winning. Reggie led us in one of those songs just a moment ago where you never mentioned him to me. And we'll come back to that passage he mentioned that has the basis for that song in just a moment. Another, part, another one of those verses or, or, or songs is, Will You Not Tell It Today? Impressing, today's the day. And then a song that actually shares the title here, A Soul Winner for Jesus. It's, in, it's 568 in the song books that you have. And the, verses that, the verse that goes along with it is from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 where it says, To the weak I became weak and to the, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that I might by means save some. I do, all, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. We're really wanting to see everybody around us share in the blessings of the gospel. <clears throat> Has the gospel changed our lives in the way that it should to create the fire within us that makes us want to go and tell everybody about it? Is soul winning your mission in life? What do you see as kind of the primary thing of your life? As young parents, it's sometimes raising your kids, getting a good job maybe as you're coming out of school and making sure that you can provide for your family. Maybe as you're getting older and you realize that you need to enhance your career, then, then the primary focus becomes going back to school and making it so that I can do better. Some folks, it's just buying the next nice thing, a car, a TV, or whatever. Some folks, it's something really sincere, really sensitive of teaching or, or feeding the poor. I would suggest to you that you should have no greater mission in life than to seek souls. Souls are the most precious thing on this planet. And what we realize, being in this room, that there are thousands of souls around us that need Jesus. So are you a soul winner? Have you ever been trained to be a soul winner? Have you ever went and taught somebody? Have you ever come alongside somebody and showed them Jesus? If not, why not? If so, when was the last time and 
Can you do it again today? I would suggest to you that there's no greater mission. Mike, that sounds too hard. Mike, I got a job to do. I got these kids to take care of. I got these grandkids that I got to try to take care of. I've got all of these burdens of life piling on top of me. Jesus. Soul winning was Jesus' primary mission. Do we think for a minute that we have a more stressful life than Jesus did? Everything was riding on him. Sleeping with his head on a rock. Jesus' mission was soul winning. I'm going to get back to that in just a moment as well. I'm not saying that we need to abandon our jobs and become a bum and just teach everybody that we can get around. In that sense, I'm saying that we need to take advantage of the time that we have to teach some soul today. Hebrews says that we come together on the first day of the week in chapter 10 to stir one another up to love and good works. Is that what we do when we come together? I know that that's what happened this morning as, Red, excuse me, as Bubba was teaching the class, stirring our minds up to think about and really reason through how the use of the tongue works, considering how strong it is. Do you think we can use the power and channel the power of the tongue to, to teach others? Not that it just has the negative effects, because reality is it can take us down a really bad path. But the tongue has the power to change the world. Think about uh, Paul. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians that God chose the foolishness of the message preached to be the method. He didn't choose angels. He didn't come down and put some kind of words on the sky for all of us to try to follow. He chose you and he chose me to teach his word. Are you a soul winner? I'm going to rapid fire some of, through some of this for this morning. Today I want to share that first century, a couple of first century examples of those who are soul winners. I want to show you the reason why you should be a soul winner. I want to expose to you some of the common excuses and one way that you can overcome those excuses. I want to discuss very briefly some some prospects. In a business meeting, we think about prospects to go out and meet. My business is a lawn business. I'm always looking for prospects. I'm looking for the next person that I can sell my product to. Are we really thinking about people as souls as our next prospect to teach? Lastly, on just a note, some tools that are at your disposal. Some things that you can use to help you in this. First, there's some first century soul winners that we need to take note of. Anna, in, uh, in Luke chapter 2, just really quickly here, verse 38 says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna, before Christ is even really started good on his ministry, is telling about God. 
Andrew. In John chapter 1, in verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John speak, speaking of John the Baptist, and followed Jesus was Andrew and Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, Are you Simon? You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Think about the simple thing that we're, we've talked about so far to be soul winners. Anna has simply been just been telling about God. Andrew just simply takes somebody with him. Do we have siblings? Do we have siblings that are not Christians? Have we told them about Christ? Have we spent time with our cousins, with our aunts, with our uncles, telling them about Christ? Guilty. Guilty. But should we change that? We have to be soul winners. Jesus, obviously, is the greatest soul winner ever. But it says, and I want you guys to read this with me in Luke chapter 19. This is why I say that Jesus' primary mission was soul winning. He's speaking with a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, if you remember, he's the guy that's small in stature. And he runs and he can't get to the point where Jesus, you know Jesus is coming this way. But he can't get to him. He's small. He's behind everybody. What's Zacchaeus do? Scales a tree, a sycamore tree. Just to get a glimpse at Jesus. Are we really that hungry for people to see Jesus? For them just to get a glimpse of Jesus. In, 19, in chapter 19 and verse 9 it says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also the son of Abraham. Now Zacchaeus just before this said, that If he's defrauded anybody, if he's done any wrong, he's willing to reimburse fourfold. Zacchaeus had a heart that was willing to accept Correction. Zacchaeus had a heart that was ready to hear what God, what Jesus had to say. You know, there's hearts just like that around us that are ready to hear Jesus. In verse 10 it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus was the lost. But Jesus came to find him. Do we come alongside Christ and really seek after those who he's seeking? Do we think about the world around us as the harvest field? Do we think about how we can find the next person? Sometimes there's Zacchaeus. Sometimes they walk into our lives not knowing what they're going to get. But are we willing to give them the gospel? Have you ever met one of those persons that seemed to be at the point where they were just ready to listen to what the gospel said? Those are some of the most encouraging studies that you can ever get into in your life. Of somebody who's really trying to seek to humble themselves and to really know what the scripture says. You think about the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's reading from Isaiah. I just, I just, I don't know what he's saying. 
there are people like that in the world around us right now that are just waiting for you. The woman, the Samaritan woman, Jesus is speaking with her specifically, but <clears throat> Jesus tells her about her whole life, remember? And then the response was, when Samaritan woman, woman of the well in John chapter 4, says in verse 28, So the woman left her water jar and went her way to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I've ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they were coming to him. The Samaritans from that own town, that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. You know, a lot of times we get hung up about women speaking, women teaching. And I'd say that that's rightfully so. There are some challenges that are there. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse, or excuse me, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 teaches us that a woman's influence is tremendous. And we should hone that just like this woman did. To utilize the influence that they have. Women have a responsibility to teaching others that are around us. I see women here, I'm sure some of you have jobs, some of you meet neighbors, some of you go to the bank or whatever events of life. Realize where Jesus is when he does this teaching. He's not in a pulpit, right? He's not orating in some crowd. He's by a well. And he teaches this woman and then thereby this woman goes to those who she knows in her town and exposes Jesus to them she then brings them to Jesus you here listen here's Jesus are we that do we have that mentality that we bring people to Jesus because you see, that's the concept that was in the text. Is that people brought people to Jesus. They didn't bring them to some doctrine or, or some just new teaching. But they brought them to Jesus. That's the place that we need to take people. <clears throat> the first century church, when they went out, Acts chapter 8, they went out teaching and proclaiming Jesus. Acts chapter 11, when they were scattered because of the persecution... Right? They went out teaching nobody but the Jews, just people they knew. It says in verse 21, the, the, the hand of the Lord was with them greatly. In other words, the effect happened. You give a Christian a responsibility to go out and teach, and they go. In Acts chapter 2, we had 3,000 souls saved. In Acts chapter 5, I believe it was, there's 5,000 men. The world can change based on our willingness to go out and expose people to Jesus. Why should I be a soul winner? One, we noted before, to be wise. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, verse 15, 
Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. We live in a corrupt time period. But we have to act wisely within our time period. If we're acting wisely, we're going out seeking souls. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, it says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. To the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Do we still believe that? People can be saved from their sins if we but teach them about Jesus. <clears throat> Do we really value a soul? If we're, if we're really considered about being a soul winner, then we have to see people more than just their physical appearance, than just their outer appearance, their hair, their face, their clothes, the things that they do every day. We have to see people for what they are, a soul. The spirit. Something that's pending being punished. Not for two years, not for five years, but for an eternity. Your soul. We have to see people for what they are. That's the soul. We have to be like Christ. You think about Jesus. He just reminds us that we're going to be persecuted when we go do this. But we become like him when we're willing to submit to him. It's really, and honestly, when you think about it, the greatest work that can ever be done You know, one of the reasons it makes me want to teach others the most, probably of all of them, other than the fact that they can obtain salvation is to see joy. What happens to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 after they come out of the water? He went on his way rejoicing. Have you ever seen or experienced that kind of joy on somebody's face? Think about the bond and the connection that's made because of our input into helping someone obey the gospel. To see their sorrows fade away, to see their sins washed free, to see the relief of the burden that sin carries on us, and to watch their face change, to see the light Finally in their eyes. One of the greatest things that you'll ever do, ever, is to have a hand in somebody obeying the gospel. To covering a multitude of sin. To see people reignite because they're brought from the dead back to life. What a joy that is. It's it's amazing. That's one of the things that, at least to me, is... is <coughs> One of the driving forces behind it. You think about Jesus when he's at the talk about the parable of the 99, 99 and the one, right? When, when, when they find the one, he, he's at 99. But when he finds the one, he rejoices. Angels, Jesus, Holy Spirit, they're, they're all with us rejoicing when the moment happens. Because we realize what we've done. We realize the effect that we've had on somebody else to saving their soul from hell. And to the passage that Reggie mentioned earlier, 
that comes from the ver the song that we we sung earlier. In First Timothy chapter four, specifically in verse sixteen, to keep a close watch on yourself, you and on you yourself, and on the teaching. Persist in this, that for by so doing, you will both save yourself and the Hebrew. You know, brethren, it's not just about helping some other soul see the gospel. What does Jesus tell us to do when the beam is in our own eye? What is he reminding us? That oftentimes we see the speck that's in somebody else's, but fail to consider the beam that's in our own. When you teach, when you expose Jesus to others, you realize how far that beam is in yours. You realize how that you, or the fact that you need to get that out. You're exposed to convicting thoughts that make you change when you teach. You save yourself. Okay. Last big one of these three. Excuses for not winning souls. You know, I've been the one that said, I can't do it. Have, have, are there any of us that realize or have said that there's no way that I could possibly teach somebody else? I'm the only one. Okay, got it. Oh, no, I got head shakings now. Okay, here we go. Realize that if your thought is that you can't teach somebody else, that everybody else who has has had that same thought. So what do you do when you think that you can't teach? We go alongside somebody else who does. Believe me when I say this, that if somebody is teaching somebody else and you as a brother or a sister in Christ want to join them there would be no greater encouragement for that teacher to have somebody come alongside and just be there don't even have to say anything to be the extra supportive encouragement that happens in the middle of a conversation is tremendous. To be that person that may be there to, to consider bouncing something off of, to help this conversation go better. It's a tremendous joy for anybody who teaches to have somebody come and help. Remember, when Jesus sent them out, how did he send them out? By themselves? Or two by two? He sent them out in pairs. How do you think the one becomes a good teacher? By first being willing to join somebody else. You can do it. You can teach, you can teach, you can teach. If you find it hard to tell others about Jesus, then spend more time reading the gospel. If you find it hard to spend time speaking to somebody else about Jesus then there are four books of the Bible that you need to spend time on today. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You will find a reason to say something that you've read 
from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in your conversation tomorrow if you but willing to, are willing to invest the time today. If you find it hard to spend time talking to others about Jesus, then you need to spend more time talking to Jesus. People need to hear what Jesus did. People need to hear how Jesus' life affected you. People need to know the truth about Jesus and see that he's real and see that he's active in our lives. What about, I'm too busy. Have you ever said, I'm too busy to teach somebody else? Guess what? Everybody else is too. But Jesus found time. While he was surrounded by others. Remember, so oftentimes, like Zacchaeus, surrounded by others. He took Zacchaeus and went to his home. He found time. Anything else that you do that you love, do you find time for it? I'll kind of focus this one for just a second. Grandparents, as trying as these little ones sometimes can be, do you find time to spend time with them? Why? Because you love them, right? Because you love them. When we love something, we will find time, find time to spend with it. If you love Jesus, you really love Jesus, you will find time to spend with him, and you will find time to spend with others in talking about Jesus. Realize that you will never have time like you think you need. Ever. Like ever, ever, ever. Unless you're a full-time evangelist, you will never find the time. Just kind of like happenstancefully just come across an extra two hours in a day. At least that's the way it works in my life, at least. I know a, a lady who's 85 years old who's widowed and her husband left her with a, a significant amount of money to take care of her needs. Guess what she has now? Time. She's also tired. Because times beat her up. We don't have to wait until the perfect moment. Because the perfect moment will never come. We have now. Because Jesus gave us this moment. You think back to Esther, right? For such a time as this. We are here in our moment for this time. Let us take advantage of that. What about the, 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 the excuse that nobody will listen? Parents, grandparents. How many of you tell the same story about your children? regardless of how many times you've told it to the same person. They got a little bashful looks, by the way. Because we, we love them. We spend time talking about them. Why? Because we love them. Because we want others to see the love that we have for them. We want others to love them. 
people will listen. You just don't know who it is. You just don't know when it'll hit. You just don't know which heart it's going to strike. What you need to do is be willing to throw the seed. I'm too tired. Come home from work, I work 14 hours a day, tired. So what? Jesus slept on a rock. Get over yourself. So what? Use the moment to talk about Jesus. I promise you, if the conversation goes well, the tiredness kind of goes away. It's all of a sudden fades in the background because we get a chance to talk about something that we love. What about I'm afraid? I, I really fear how my boss is going to view me because I say something. I never really realized how real that was. And this may sound kind of awkward. Until my boss became my Facebook friend. And I speak about homosexuality being bad. I speak about abortion being evil. Right? And I speak about other things that could very well get me in trouble because I work for the government. Are you afraid? Let me ask the question. Was Peter afraid? Peter was afraid in the garden. Peter was afraid the night that Jesus was taken. Peter was afraid while sitting by a barrel talking to a stranger. Fast forward a short period of time later. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. We must do nothing but speak what we have seen and heard. If you've seen Jesus work in your life, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. Because the fear goes out the window. They need to hear Jesus just as much as the next person. <clears throat> what about the excuse that I don't know? I don't know how. You mentioned a minute ago, go alongside with somebody. Spend the time. Let me get even more basic than that. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, then you ought to know how the gospel works. It's not just some random series of words that we think of on our own that help us to become a Christian. You became a Christian because you came in conflict with your sin and Jesus told you about it and he gave you the out. Can you tell that to somebody else? Can you tell somebody else how baptism works? If you can, then you can. Sometimes we just lack the confidence Sometimes we lack the ability to articulate what we want to say. Guess what? Get over it. Say it anyways. You will learn better how to articulate it 
better as you continue to progress and tell people about Jesus. So tell them. Something that I, I, I never really thought of until the last couple of years. Salvation is not about how well you can articulate to somebody about using musical instruments as a sin in worship. Salvation is not about how we convince somebody that the Lord's Supper is supposed to be taken on the first day of the week. Every first day of the week. Salvation is not about doctrinal matters. If somebody is taught Jesus, they love Jesus, they will want to please Jesus. If they want to please Jesus, then we can go down the path of all of those other things. Right? If people want, really want to know who Jesus is and get better acquainted with him, then all of these things will become simple obedience points. But if they don't know Jesus, they can't know salvation. Salvation has to be the thing that's known. Let's teach Jesus. I mentioned this before, and I'm going to come back to this, and I'm going to run out of time. I've done ran out of time. Through the book of Acts, we see a constant thread of how people obeyed the gospel. Guess what they were taught? Jesus. His life. The glory of his life. The betrayal of the perfect Son of God. The death, the persecution, the pain, the agony, the perceived defeat that putting Christ to death was his resurrection. Him rising from the grave because the devil couldn't keep him. Him rising from the grave because God was much stronger than anything else. And then ultimately, the power of redemption through that sacrifice and through that resurrection. I'll do that one day. One day I'll get to Acts and we'll, we'll actually look through these passages. But when you start reading Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, that's what they teach. That is the gospel. Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus lived physically? He, he lived. He died. He was raised. And that redemption is through him. You're ready. Go. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through like 7 or 8, says the same exact thing. And Paul calls it there the gospel. <clears throat> Can you teach the gospel to somebody else? If so, go. Excuses fall away when we really figure out the power of the gospel. I'm not going to have time to go through this too much. First Corinthians, excuse me, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 7, 16. The power of the gospel of salvation, right? Why? First chapter 3, verse 23, for all of sin, right? Chapter 6, verse 23, 26. I forgot which one it is. The wages of sin is death, but yet 
the gospel is the power from God unto salvation. We have to know the gospel. We have to teach the gospel. The gospel is the remedy. The gospel comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Remember Romans chapter 10? How will they hear without a preacher? Just before that? They have to hear. Some soul winning prospects. I didn't realize how white a field is until you go into the north and see a wheat field. And when you're flying above it in the ground just looks like this brownish white haze. And when Jesus says, look, the harvest, right? What he's saying is that everybody who hasn't obeyed the gospel is the harvest. And the harvest is abundant. Go get it. Consider these. People who are already attending here. Do we have people that worship with us that maybe haven't obeyed the gospel yet? Those are people that you need to be speaking with. Those you work with, those new residents, the guy that moves into the house next door that you never go visit, that person needs to hear the gospel. Members that are no longer attending here. We have people that have fallen away or who have stopped worshiping with us. Those are the people that you go to. Something that is has been taught to me that is, if you have a goal to go and teach somebody, but you don't write it down, it's a wish. Write it down. Write down five, six people that you want to spend a little bit of time with teaching the gospel. And then take action to meet those people. Every tool, every trade has a has a, some tools. And the last point here is you don't have let me rephrase that. If you need tools to go teach the gospel, then get them. If that just means you need to know your Bible better, then go read it. If that means you need a correspondence course, then buy some. If that means you need tracks, Okay, go get some. If you need a situation where you have a home Bible study for somebody to come to, then start it. Don't wait. Use the tools that are at your disposal to teach others. Okay. Your last passage. In Acts chapter 2. Verse 47, and I'll conclude here. The early church grew as it was made up of soul winners. Our church can be the same. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily, or day by day, who were being saved. That wasn't happening just because people were coming to the assembly but because day by day each of us were going out and teaching as there's any here this morning that are uh, subject to the gospel call in any kind of way please come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected